the Bare Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based advice for your sex life and your marriage. Yes. And I am joined by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And we had a reader question recently that was really interesting. Um, there was this, the phenomenon we'd never actually thought about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, she... I thought about it, but we haven't talked about it. Before. Right. I've talked about it with friends. Other people are talking about this. Okay. But basically she wrote in and she said, how do you handle a marriage where you never really consented because you were raised in a church community that told you that you needed to get married. That was your goal. And the only thing that mattered was that the person that you married was following Christ and you were systematically taught to disregard your own feelings and to ignore red flags. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself 10 years later married to this person when you've never really consented because you didn't know what you were getting into and you didn't know you could say no. And I was trying to figure out how to answer this and I put some stuff up on social media and a bunch of people said, you need to talk to Alyssa Wakefield. Yes. (laughs) And I knew Alyssa from social media already. And so I reached out to her and she came on the podcast and we've actually recorded a a long conversation with her. It's going to be a Mm -hmm. (laughs) two-parter. So we're going to tell the bulk of her story this week and then the the resolution to it next week along with some commentary. But before we get to Alyssa, I just want to say how honored I am that she shared her story with us on the Bear Marriage podcast because um, she and I talked for about half an hour before I even hit the record button, before I, I before she even started talking about the things that, that you're about to hear. And in that conversation just between Alyssa and me, she said this was the first time that she's ever been able to share her story in her own words. Yeah. Up until now, it's always been her father or her former father-in-law telling her what she had to say. And this time she got to say it the way she wanted to tell it. And so I'm honored to bring her on the podcast. And without further ado, here is Alyssa Wakefield. Well, I am thrilled to bring onto the podcast today, Alyssa Wakefield. Hello, Alyssa. Hi, how are you? Good. I am so excited about this conversation. You know, Alyssa and I spent some time talking before I brought her on, but let me tell you a little bit about her. So she is like the poster child for what was supposed to be this perfect homeschooled, super evangelical, modest woman who is just going to get married and have babies. And that's what she was raised to be. And she does have eight wonderful kids. (laughs) But um, I found Alyssa on social media because she's been so outspoken about a lot of the same things I've been speaking about. And she learned this the hard way in a very destructive marriage. And I just want to hear your story, Alyssa. So I'm so excited you're here. Do you want to just help us to understand where you came from? Like sure. what, what your childhood was like? Sure. I'm the daughter of Norm Wakefield and Alma Wakefield. And um, my parents were both um, educators and uh, were saved uh, later in life, um, kind of through the Jesus movement time, I suppose. They were 30. I was about three or four at that time. They went to the Gothard Seminar. They got involved in um, Peter Lord's ministry down in Florida and just kind of went gung-ho. Um, my dad got into ministry and um, they both um, were college degreed educated. So they uh, went into education and they were public school teachers as well as Christian school teachers. And then in the early 80s, my dad uh, felt a calling to ministry to be a church planner out in Southern California. And um, my mom did not feel that call. But um, her mind changed in time. And so they headed out to Southern California, which is where I spent most of my childhood and up until I was 19. And um, during that transition in their lives, they decided to homeschool. They felt that God was telling them to do that. And they felt that any other form of education was destructive and not God's way. They also wanted to protect their kids from the world. My dad became kind of part of the pioneer group of homeschooling in the early 80s um, with the Chia Convention, as well as uh, just a small group of families that really just went gung-ho into homeschooling. It was back when we hid out till 3 p.m. and you didn't show your face because the CPS was going to get you. And um, my mom was very fearful and anxious. We stood in a bedroom in my parents' house with maps on the walls. And we said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag in the morning. And we had real school desks in our in our room. And they did it very seriously and uh, took 
the role of what they believed the Bible said, which was to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. And that kids should be taught around their table all day, mm-hmm. every day. And and I want to stress too, like this is a form of homeschooling that really is quite extreme because we homeschooled our kids. My kids are probably going to homeschool their kids. You know, Joanna, our co-author for the great sex rescue is going to homeschool her kids. So this is not about, this is, this is not as, as you're telling your story, I don't want to critique homeschooling. What I want to critique is the idea of homeschooling in order to control your kids or keep them from the world at all. Yes. And I think too, there's so many that everybody homeschools for different reasons and different motives. I think there's so many that have a right heart. I mean, I homeschooled all of mine until my oldest was eighth grade. That's another story, another time, but I'm not anti-homeschooling. At the same time, it was a culture for so many people, I think, instead of just a choice of education. And so much of that culture was really about men being in charge. Absolutely. And women being way down the ladder. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And children were under that ladder, another step. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it was during that um, time period at first, when I feel like homeschooling became kind of the thing in the early eighties and was, was catching um, energy. I think it was just a, a lot of people really seeing a lot of things that weren't going great in the public school system. Like my parents who taught there, you know, they were like, we can do better than this. And there was, mm-hmm. there was not a bad heart involved, but as it became a bigger thing and a bigger thing, there was a lot of different types of things that entered that culture, like Bill Gothard's homeschool program, mm-hmm. which my parents later joined. Of course, the purity culture, the evangelical movement also at the same time, I think they kind of caught on. It seemed like simultaneously, kind of like Mm -hmm. two trains going the same way. And then they kind of joined each other. During that also, there was a lot of people starting to talk about child training, I think more than before in the seventies and the Mm eighties. And there was focus on the family that became, you know, really huge during that time. And we did not miss an odyssey broadcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, focus on the family was on constantly. I mean, it was like, you know, coming out of the seventies, there wasn't any of that. And then, you know, the baby boomers, my parents, you know, they, it was like, wow, look at all this. And they were just like soaking it up, just soaking, soaking, soaking. And I, and I don't like, I can't say motives or hearts, but I look back and I see young parents going, we haven't had anything. There hasn't been anything. We know we don't want what we had. And, and there was a lot of shame and guilt and lifestyles that many of them led. And so they were just latching on to whatever you know, the evangelical church was offering, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. during that time. Yeah. Protect your kids, Um, keep them from the world. And then they won't make the mistakes that you did. Exactly. You just just need to clamp down and teach them how to submit and be, and listen to your authority. And then they won't make the same mistakes. Exactly. And if we can get dads to lead out and Mm -hmm. be the leaders of their home and women will submit to that since they're the weaker vessel and easily deceived you know, so these are the twisted verses that the church was teaching and many to rise up and, you know, <laughs> take hold of all this. And so my dad began a ministry um, that was completely geared towards men being the leaders of their home and leading out in that way. And everybody that I was around was teaching the same thing. I grew up at the same conferences as Josh Harris and dating, I kiss dating goodbye. I mean, before he wrote, I kiss dating goodbye. We were Mm -hmm. sitting, you know, flirting as junior high kids at conference tables as our dad spoke. I mean, you know, it was just, that was how I was where I grew up, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, we were the kids that were dragged around all the homeschool conferences and we were taught what to say and what to write and what to do and how to look and what to wear and how to promote our dads and their visions. Wasn't ever said, of course, out loud, you know, but um, for me personally, I was told that I was the strong-willed child from a very young age. I don't really know exactly what that means because my parents told me I was a strong-willed one. Um, but I do remember my very first memory as a child. I was four years old and I was, um, we were going to church and I wanted to wear a yellow raincoat. It was a big bird yellow raincoat, and, uh, but it wasn't raining outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my parents said no. And typical four-year-old that gets told, no, no, I want to wear my real, you know, yellow raincoat. Uh, long story short of it, it, it was a hour long spanking session. Um, mm. And that is my earliest 
memory, my first memory. And so I, I didn't obviously wear the yellow raincoat. I lost, but my will was broken. And I even remember being slumped down on the ground by the bed, telling my little Alyssa inside, it's not worth this. I'll do whatever it takes to not experience this kind of physical and emotional pain. Like even in my head as a little girl. Right. I was, I think my last spanking over um, disrespect or disobeying my parents was when I was uh, 13 or 14. That's Um, horrifying. It was horrifying. And I never, I was raised to believe that this was godly. Um, because after the spanking sessions, you know, you're, you're wrapped in a forced hug and you're told that I love you. And I do this because I love you. And God says, and God disciplines those he loves and the verses would be poured upon. And if you didn't embrace in that hug at that moment, then you were further rebellious and I would receive another spanking. So mm-hmm. what that does I believe now with some years of study into human psychology and child development, I know for me, what it did was it began to strip me of any sort of autonomy or agency. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's how you build a robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody's familiar with the movie, the matrix, <laughs> yeah. um, it's how you brainwash. It's, it's, it's how a bully works to accomplish what they want to accomplish with someone else is to use a force that's painful in order to achieve what you want to achieve. Right. I learned at a very early age that God in my mind was someone to fear, not in like we speak of, you know, fearing Mm -hmm. God, but really afraid of Mm -hmm. God because he punishes and everything you do is like walking on eggshells with God because the people that held God's name for me, it was like walking on eggshells. So as a child, when I, I really firmly believe that spiritual abuse is the worst kind of abuse we can endure because God's name is attached to it. Yeah. It takes your only safe space, exactly. only safe space. Yeah, exactly. And so I've, I've talked with many women who go through lots of different types of abuse, which I have as well. And they, they've been raised in the world and they run, it's maybe God who they run to in the, in the moment of abuse. Mm-hmm. But when you're being abused and it's combined with spiritual abuse, where do you run? Mm-hmm. There's not a safe, there's not a safety. God is not safe in your head and in your mind. So right. I really believe the most evil of abuse is spiritual abuse is when God's name and Jesus Christ and his word and the Bible is used to manipulate and strip a person of agency and autonomy because you're removing the one that they, they need the most, which is Jesus Christ, yes. which they'll face other types of views throughout life. And that's where they need to run. Right. So <laughs> I don't know if um, maybe I could go a little bit into that agency aspect, if that's okay with you, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just as a part of my story, because it plays into again, later with the purity culture and uh, my courtship and so much more on um, being married very young and why that took place and how that takes place. Um, for me personally, it began as a toddler. Right. It went back to an agency being stripped in my evangelical home of who I was as a person from way back when. Because you were seen as something bad because your will had to be broken so that you could be transformed into what God wanted. Right. And not at all. Yes. And only your parents know what God wants for you. (laughs) Right. And that's not at all what the Bible says, but that's how we've often interpreted it is that because we have original sin in the Mm -hmm. way that they say it, because we're, we're sinners from birth, then we're wicked. Right. 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 Like you can't trust your heart because it's wicked. Everything I was going to go straight into that, uh, about how that was one of the main things I was constantly told is Alyssa, your heart is wicked mm-hmm. and horribly deceitful above all else. Mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. trust your heart. Mm-hmm. Now you can trust and- us with your heart. You can trust your parents' heart. Somehow their hearts aren't wicked, but yours is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, our hearts know what your heart needs, but your heart never can know. The goal is to, to mold your heart like ours, 
to think like us, to do what we want you to do, to choose the person we want you to choose. Now, none of this is, like I said, is, is often said. It's usually said through, sadly, scripture and verses to mold a young mind to where she believes that she really can't trust herself. She really mm-hmm. can't trust herself when she's around a man and there's a bad vibe and she's, well, but I'm just creating that because he's a, he's a good man. He goes to church. I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't trust that, you know, oh, but, but my parents say he's good and he, and they think he's good. So he must be good. But something mm-hmm. inside of you is saying, no, that's not right. That's not good. But no, let's say your heart's wicked. You can't trust your heart. You don't know. And so you're constantly informed that from this very young age, a very tender age, you're stripped of the ability to trust your own thoughts, your own hearts, your own intuition, all these things that God plugs into you and in creation to make you the person that you're going to be and that you should be. So they're following Bill Goddard, who Gothard, who, who ran this huge homeschooling movement. He's since been um, very credibly accused of sexual Absolutely. harassment and assault. And we had, we had another guest on a couple of weeks ago to talk about that. They were following John MacArthur, you told me. John MacArthur, John Piper, um, anybody in the reform movement at that time. Of course, focus on the family, enormously mm-hmm. so in the 80s. Um, I would say focus on the family before Gothard came in. Gothard was kind of like the next step up, you know, right. a little bit more spiritual. <laughs> because at that time, uh, focus on the family was still allowing dating, <laughs> you know, so it was like... Right. There was still that autonomy and agency. You know, you could date, you had to date a certain way. You had to date through the purity culture and all that movement. But, you know, Gothard was like that one step up that gave dads and moms more power. He offered mm-hmm. a teaching that gave parents more power than Dobson did. Right. <laughs> so for all those parents that were more anxious and more fearful and sadly, really just not trusting God for God to uh, mm-hmm. be the one who raises your child with you and allows that, um, allows them to make mistakes and learn and, and build their own compass and become true adults. You know, you know, that's interesting that you just said that because it's very true. I'd never thought of it that way, but the people that went in for this really super hyper conservative fundamentalist method of parenting actually were doing so out of fear. It looked like they were hyper sold out for God, but really in large part, it was a, it was a fear response was, well, this gives me a guarantee. Everyone was searching for a guarantee that the kids were going to be okay. And so here you are, and you've been stripped of all your agency. You've been, you've been told you can't trust anything you feel. And at the same time, your parents are in this movement where they start learning about betrothal and courtship. Yes, absolutely. And so we were kind of doing the focus on the family more like, okay, you need, you need to ask your parents before you go out on a date. Dad has to approve. That was kind of focused on the family thing, early 90s. And then Bill Gothard comes in and he's got this courtship thing. And he has these people get up giving these glowing testimonies of how, you know, they basically saw each other and their parents betrothed them. And look, they're happily married. Mm-hmm. And look, nobody had sex before marriage and we're all virgins. And, and look at us now. We've had it, you know, we're pregnant within the year. And we are all mm. sitting in these big conferences and our parents are all like, yes, that's it. That mm-hmm. will get us all virgin kids and married and everything will be good. And they won't have all this guilt that we still carry. I look back, I think it's such a combination. I think there was anxiety and fear. I think there's guilt and shame that comes from not understanding who Jesus is in grace. Mm-hmm. So you have that combination you know, and then, and then there's the combination of truly controlling individuals who are, have narcissistic traits, yes, <laughs> narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> so you have this combination going down, I think, in a lot of unfortunate, a lot of these homes that, that chose to go that route. You have, mm-hmm. you do have, um, very wounded adult men who, um, are narcissistic in many ways, because their trauma was never dealt with. And so they've carried into this personality that has to be in control. They have to be the leader. And mm-hmm. they love that they can use scripture in order to do that. And then Gothard came along and went, yep, scripture, we got it. And so they've got this patriarchal mindset and women are underneath them. And there's this umbrella that everybody draws. We had to literally like trace it and draw it. So we had it memorized and then share it with other people. So we're drawing these umbrellas and we're, we're drawing God over here and man here and woman here and kids. Here that and umbrella makes no sense, by the way. I think <laughs> yes, it's hilarious because, because yeah. if, if, 
if you've got the Jesus umbrella, which is big, why do you need any other umbrella at all? Exactly. Like is the umbrella not <laughs> protecting you from the, it right. makes no sense. So sure. you're this young girl whose parents are believing in betrothal and your marriage was actually arranged. Well, how this went down, um, is going to sound different than the recordings that are out there that I was encouraged and coerced to make in the first few years that I was married to Mm -hmm. Robert Welch. Our fathers uh, traveled around at homeschool conventions and had myself and it was like a team to then go and encourage everybody else to look at this model relationship to also do with your children. And so I stood on many stages, Sheila looking very perfect and very modest clothing, smiling with my hands folded and nodding my head without any agency or any autonomy. I did not know who I was. I only knew what I was supposed to do and say and believe. And so to share with you today, my, my courtship story is the first time to publicly share it without men telling me how to share it without my father telling me how it should be shared, without my ex telling me how to switch that part up or change that part, without my father-in-law telling me what I cannot say or should say about what took place. Right. So this is, this is emotional for me because this is the, I'm free now. Yeah. At 44. <laughs> to share my story. What happened to Alyssa? What, what did Alyssa think? What did Alyssa go through? How did Alyssa feel? And thankful for some very wonderful women in my life the last four years and, and therapy and Jesus Christ, (laughs) you know, who has brought me to a place to say, no, that's, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And, and this is my story. This isn't their story. Yeah. So to be able to share this today, <laughs> they always told me I, I should never. So um, the last time I tried to share my story was on a blog post. And about halfway through, I was contacted by my dad, as well as my father-in-law and my ex. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. You can't, you can't post this. You can't write this. Not without the rest of us editing it first. You can't hear from God. <laughs> we are God. We are your high priests. We, we are the men. We, we do the storytelling. And if you tell it, it needs to be through us and how we see it and how we want it to be told. So this is, this is big for me. Um, growing up um, through, um, quote, biblical discipline, my will was molded. Uh, to my parents, particularly uh, my dad. My dad is not an unkind or um, an angry man, but he followed theologies and doctrines that were abusive. Mm -hmm. I think I I would like to make that very clear, you know, is that when we adopt theologies and doctrines that are not based on the love of Jesus Christ and not based on the correct interpretation of God's word, And when we make things that are biblical to be Christ-like when they're not Mm -hmm. (laughs) Christ-like, there's a difference between biblical and Christ-like. And when we take ideas that um, the evangelical movement has taught so prevalently that men are over women and that men have this place that is above in God's eyes, then abuse is going to take place. So when... I think even a good man or a kind man adopts these doctrines and theologies. His actions will be abusive, even if his heart may not be abusive. I was uh, spent my teen years um, in the Gothard program, and I was 14 um, when I met Bill Gothard at the Long Beach Seminar, and I was, and a couple of the girls very specifically pulled out to come eat lunch with him. Uh, they all pretty much look the same. <laughs> and I was set directly across from him. Um, I was 14. Let me say that again, 14. 
Um, I have a 13 year old and 15 year old girl now. And I just mind blown first that my parents allowed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you're a protected homeschool girl and suddenly you're allowed to go with some older man um, to lunch. I mean, just everything just blows my mind now, but you know, it doesn't have to make sense. I guess it just, that's what happened. Um, and I was asked along with my sister to join him on a trip, a mission trip to Russia. We were 14 and 16 at the time. Um, there was a girl to my right who was actually 13, not quite 14. Um, who he invited to move to his headquarters at that point. She was 14. I think when she began traveling with him, we were all very young, Southern California, beach looking girls. And, uh, so anyway, that was the initiation into Bill Gothard for me at the age of 14. Up until that point, we hadn't really adopted the whole courtship stuff. It had just been, dad was going to be heavy handed in your relationships. Whenever you finally get to the age, we might let you date. But from the time I was little, my parents constantly prayed out loud for my future spouse. And my mom would constantly remind me that the greatest goal and calling in my life was to get married and have kids. Right. That was what you're, you're alive for. Like literally that's your role. That's your goal. That's what you're here for. I don't know if it was actually spoken, but it was always strongly encouraged and, and promoted people who got married young. Mm -hmm. And it was talked about a lot, purity and not having sex. And yet sex was never really talked about. Mm -hmm. You're just not supposed to have it. Right. I don't know what it is, but you're not supposed to have it. And don't say it and don't say the word sexy. Cause that's like a curse word. So mm-hmm. like, there's no conversation around sex, but your whole goal and everything around you and everyone they're following is telling you your worth is to be a virgin and get married young. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I knew, you know? And so I'm not even in the world. So I'm isolated homeschooled, very isolated homeschooler, but but all I'm hearing from the influences my parents allow in are your goal, Alyssa, is to get married and have kids. That is what you're here for. And mm-hmm. submit, submit. Right. I was interviewed in my early 20s by some homeschooling, something rather. And they asked me what kind of legacy I wanted to leave. And as the perfect robot, I replied, I would like my tombstone to say this woman fully submitted to her husband. Yes, those words came out of my mouth. I wept when I rewatched that interview a couple of years ago because I literally, that's how programmed, Mm -hmm. that's how robotic Alyssa was. Right. So did you, the man that you married, did you know him? Like, did your parents decide this is a good family for you to marry into? What happened was um, when I was 14 or 15, and we got into Gothard, my dad began to hear all these amazing stories of betrothal and dads putting their kids together. And so my parents would talk about it a lot. We started getting these little booklets and pamphlets and testimonies. And we go to the Gothard seminar and people would get up and talk about how these dads would put these kids together, you know, and within very short times, like in the shorter the courtship, the holier it was because then there was no temptation and they didn't need to know each other. Because the dads would know. The dads are the high priests of the home. They would hear from God and God would tell them. So the kids just need to submit. As a young person, you just need to submit to your dad. He will hear from God for you. And especially as a woman, you can't hear from God. If, right. I remember my dad telling me, God's not going to speak anything to you that he hasn't already spoken to me. It's like, okay. Well, so if you're hearing this constantly and that, you know, I remember him even saying, I'm the high priest of the home. Okay. What's a high priest? Well, I mean, we might as well be Catholic. Have I mean, we ever even heard the story of Samuel? Like, Sam- yeah. <laughs> yeah. like Samuel was the one that God spoke to, to right. represent the high priest. Oh, no, Samuel no, was no. Just a we, kid. we were taught very clearly. God doesn't speak to us. It's going to come through <laughs> mom or dad, but usually dad and dad to mom, then maybe mom to you, but through the man. And so this is, this is all I'm surrounded by. If you're listening to Alyssa's story and you're thinking, 
I do not want to parent like that. I want to learn how to parent my kids in a way that honors them, not tries to control them. Well, I've got some hope for you. On June 21st, I am hosting a totally free webinar called Compassionate Discipline with Wendy Snyder from Fresh Start Families. Wendy was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about Jesus-centered parenting, positive parenting, how we can discipline and guide our kids in a way that doesn't break their will, but instead nurtures it and helps them to make good choices. You do need to register. It's totally free, but the link to register is in the podcast notes. And I hope to see you there. Um, so for two years, I'm not allowed to be around any guys. Um, if I show any interest in, in a guy, um, my dad reminds me that that's worldly, that's wicked, that it's not through him, that I'm rebellious. If I talk to a guy, I don't talk to guys. I don't go with guys. I don't go on double dates. I don't do events with guys. We're taken away from the youth group because there's guys there. Youth groups mm -hmm. are no longer safe. And I wasn't permitted to go to any Gothard function without my sister making sure that I didn't talk to guys. Mm -hmm. So we're completely like guys are, are just this dangerous, horrific thing. We're not supposed to be around at the same time. They're the high priest. They tell us how to dress. Uh, we're supposed to listen to them to hear from God. And yet I'm also supposed to be terrified from, of them. They don't know how to be friends. They only want sex, but you have these mixed message that's constantly going on, right? Cause you have this purity culture. Then you've got this teaching about dads being in charge and where is God in all this? Mm -hmm. All I know is that only way I'm going to hear from God is through my dad. So I better just listen into him. My parents decided my education was over when I was 16 because I didn't need further education because I was going to be a wife and mother and likely be betrothed or court one of their friend's sons. So the person that I was specifically, I loved school. Um, I love uh, to educate myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to my parents several times in my teen years, my early teen years. And I said, I would like to go to college. I would like to become a designer. I would like to start my own business. And I, I'm not interested in getting married until maybe my late 20s. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at me like, are you crazy? What worldly influence has come over our daughter? Mm. And I remember just being shamed. Like, why do you want to go to college? Why do you want to educate yourself? God's calling for women is to get married and have children and submit. That is her calling. Right. That is what you will find fulfillment in no other place. And so I would appeal over and over again. And each time I was faced with that's worldly thinking, mm -hmm. that is not God's calling for a woman. And the only calling that they gave or hope they gave was that dad was going to find this wonderful, godly guy for me. In the meantime, lock her down. Don't go mm -hmm. to youth group. Don't go on mission trips where there's guys. Don't put her in any situation where there's a guy, unless my dad thinks the guy is someone that's a potential. Right. So um, it was very lonely. Never held hands, never kissed. Didn't mm -hmm. know how, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Didn't know I had a clitoris. <laughs> yeah. I know, you know, I didn't know anything. Um, you know, it was just, yeah. um, uh, it was going to be amazing on that wedding night because I was going to be so virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know how to say hi to guys. I mean, you know, how virgin is that, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. I was like most virgin of virgins. I had given my heart to my dad and my whole entire agency and autonomy. And I mean, some guy was going to get like the extra virgin olive oil. I mean, this that was me. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I was raised but I wasn't raised very long because by the time I was 16, I was sent to Bill Gothard's girls school called Excel in Dallas, Texas with my sister. And there um, they promised education, which I was actually excited because I thought maybe it's kind of like college. <laughs> maybe I'm actually going to get an education. I would really like to be educated past fifth grade. And I really, maybe this is it. So I, I thought, well, that's cool. I'm actually getting to go somewhere. So my sister and I are sent to Excel and the first week I'm there, Bob Welch and his wife and daughter are there. And he is the honorary Bible teacher for Excel. Comes every session to teach the first week at Bill Gothard's Girls School um, as a Bible teacher. His topics are modesty and trusting your parents. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, nothing about Jesus. I don't remember one thing about Jesus. Right. But um, the first week you get to Bill Gothard's Girls School, that is what your your education is. 
I kept mm-hmm. waiting for the math and science because I, I was like, gosh, you know, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't happen. And so our first week was instructed by Bob Welch. Now, I was one of the youngest students at Excel. I think the youngest cutoff age is like 16 or 17. But because my sister was there, I was permitted to go. And um, I sat on the back row. I was very timid and quiet personality. Um, I don't think I actually am, but Mm -hmm. I had, had been taught to be such. I now know I was perfect target for a narcissistic abuser, very empathetic, very um, obedient. Um, I had been trained in the way she should go. Mm -hmm. And out of 120 girls that first week at Excel, a man who I believe is one of the most perverted men I've ever met, um, who would become my future father-in-law, picked me. Right. And I understand why now for many years, I couldn't figure out why me and I was mad at God. Why me, God, is this the punishment? Is this the spanking? What did I do? Was I not pure enough? Maybe I talked to that guy too long or maybe I lusted somewhere and I didn't know it. (laughs) Maybe I was rebellious to my dad in my heart because I really did want to go to college. I raked my brain for a decade trying to figure out why me, because I didn't understand God, because the only God I knew was abusive. Yeah. So the first week of Excel, I didn't know I was being groomed. And uh, at the end of that week, I was pulled out um, after the last session at the lunch by Bob Welch, and he pulled me aside and my sister Of course, he couldn't do it by himself alone with me. So my sister was along for the ride. And he began to quiz me. What's your favorite thing to do? Where are you from? Who are your parents? It was a courtship questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't dumb. I knew what it was. I knew a lot about courtship. But I didn't think much of it, except that I remember getting on the phone with my dad. We were allowed to talk once a week with our parents. Mm -hmm. And I said, I met a man here. That's the Bible teacher that reminds me of you. Mm -hmm. You're just alike. You're the same man. And you have the same type of ministries and everything. And that was just kind of the only thing that I just remember checking. Like, what is it? I couldn't know at 16, you know. Mm -hmm. But I was easy prey. So when Bob Welch saw me, he had a second son at the time who was in rebellion and um, was quote impure and they needed, he was maybe 24 at the time and they needed to find a girl that would attract him to stay in the family and quit rebelling. And that, you know, wasn't straight laced, looked exciting, was of a certain type of attraction that would get this son back into the fold. And when he saw me, he decided she's the ticket. So unbeknownst to me at all, I'm completely Mm -hmm. clueless to this. In fact, till years and years later, I'm telling you a part of the story. I had no clue what was happening until even after I was married. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, because, well, I will say this, when you have men who are of this mindset of patriarchal, misogynistic control over women, there is one thing I have found that goes hand in hand, and that is deceit and secrets, whether it's addiction, whether it's um, a separate life. Uh, a mm-hmm. second wife, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, what I have seen, it's, it, and I don't want to like put a blanket statement over it, but in my personal experience, mm-hmm. when men and women adopt these theological mindsets and doctrinal mindsets, there is a deep root of beguilement and deception that comes with it. And I believe it's because the father of it is Satan and he is the father of lies. Mother. And so I was not given any information for years, but he got the phone number from the head guy at the girls' school and he made a call to my dad Mm -hmm. and the two dads talk over phone. I've met your daughter at this girls' school. I've got this son. Let's meet as fathers. Let's discuss this. Let's meet at the next Bill Gothard seminar with the intent of marriage. Right. 
it's not the intent to like, you know, see if she likes him (laughs) or, or they get along, or maybe they want to date, or maybe we should just like meet and see if they want to date each other. And, you know, no, it's Mm -hmm. two dads making a pact with the goal, the end goal to be marrying their kids. And they make a plan for our families to meet in Knoxville at a Gothard seminar since we're in California and they are all the way in Alabama. So mm-hmm. the only way are that I'm going to meet this guy, this son, that's like seven years older than me. And I'm underage, mind you, mm-hmm. I am, I am too young to even get married. <laughs> but if you go into stories of these types of things, age is never an issue. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is also scary. Um, and I know you've touched on where if you have guys, you know, monitoring and policing girls who are 13 years of age, they're telling on themselves. Well, mm-hmm. I was surrounded by these men, just literally surrounded by them. And I am that teenage girl. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I am the center of conversation constantly. I just learned to be a robot. I just learned to do what needs to be done to survive. And I had no decent relationships with women because women saw me as a threat because they have been taught that all women are threatening because their men can't help it. So right. I am now have no women relationships and I have no men relationships. Mm-hmm. I am an entity of my own mm-hmm. controlled completely by what I have been taught, what I've been brainwashed and by my dad, who truly believes he is protecting me in the most godly biblical high standard way. Right. Our families meet, but I'm not told any of this. Mm -hmm. So my dad comes to get me at the the conference and he says, we're going to go meet this family, but he doesn't tell me why, because see, I don't need to know why the dads are in charge. Right. So my sister and I are gathered and he goes, remember that Bible teacher you had last fall? We're going to meet his whole family. I was like, okay, do we have to? Okay, whatever. So of course we obey. My sister and I come up and there is two brothers and a sister there and Bob Welch, who I remembered very distinctly from Bible teaching and his wife and my parents and everybody's just grooming each other, (laughs) Mm -hmm. putting on their best self. When I walked up and I I didn't know I was there because I'm supposed to meet my future husband. Right. Um, So they all do both parents know and the guy knows, but not me. So I shake each of their hands. I shake um, the older brother's hand, the second brother's hand. And I didn't give any of them any attention. Didn't look them in the eye because that was evil. Don't want to tempt them. So I gave them very timid, quiet spirit, no flirtation, And this particular brother was used to getting attention from girls. Mm -hmm. And so he immediately turned around. I found again, all this out later and told the older brother, I'm not interested in her. Mm -hmm. And I turned around with my sister. I was like, what was that about? Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't know. So we both went our separate ways. And um, the older brother turned to the other brother who was a good decade older than me. And so, well, maybe she's for me then if she's not paying you attention. And that was the end of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, the dads didn't necessarily think that greeting went so well because I didn't give him the time of day and there wouldn't seem to be any connection at all, but that didn't matter Mm -hmm. because it wasn't about me. Ultimately, it wasn't about the son either. It was about them, their egos, their doctrine, their theology, and their control. Mm-hmm. And um, so they continued the relationship. The dads did continued to pursue this brother pursuing me. And um, again, I just go back home unnoticed. All this, there's a guy that I am attracted to back home. That's part of the homeschool movement. That mm-hmm. had I been given permission or without guilt and shame, I would have loved to have dated and been friends. Um, but we were constantly guarded and constantly watched. And of course, my dad knows he's planning this courtship over here. So he's not permitting any relationship with this other young man. So eventually the dads decide, you know what? We just need to get this brother out to Norm Wakefield's house where he can disciple him and make them spend some family time together. So maybe they'll, they'll mm-hmm. go along with what the dads want. So he comes out. I don't know why he's coming. My dad disciples many guys in reformed theology and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's just one more guy coming out to the church. And, um, yeah, he's staying at our house. I'm 17 at this point. And, um, my dad spends a week with him and he decides, you know what? I don't really like this guy. 
So after a year and a half of the two dads courting each other, my dad Mm -hmm. decides, I don't like this guy for my daughter. Mm -hmm. So he tells the guy, you know what? No, you know what? He calls Bob Welsh and he goes, it's off. I'm, he's not the one for my daughter. Mm -hmm. I spent some time with him that week, but not much because I don't look at guys and talk to guys or give them the time of day because I am pure. I am so pure. So they dad stopped talking to each other. There's a little bit of offense there. Like, oh, my son's not good enough for your daughter. And after Mm -hmm. a year and a half of courting each other, they move on. Six months later, I am at a Bill Gothard wedding, two people that are getting married through the Gothard. And I go up and there's a young man who is ushering down people and he ushers down my mom and my sister and I walk behind and he specifically picked us out because he is the older brother of Bob Welch's son that they tried to court. Mm-hmm. And he decides, you know what, maybe I should go for her. Maybe if I go back to my dad and say, you know what, I know you really want that girl in this family, but it didn't work out for my brother. What about me? Maybe mm-hmm. because I have higher standards than he does. And I have been working for Bob Gothard for four years. Norm Wakefield will, will take me. Mm-hmm. They come back to the playing board. The two dads retalk. And they decide to meet. And another six months later, Robert Welch and his mom are brought out to our church. And Robert comes with the sole intent to meet with my dad over me. He really wants me. And how old is he? Um, He's 10 years older than me. Wow. Okay. So uh, he was 27 going on 28. I I just need to say this. I understand there's a lot of couples that get married with age differences, but when I hear a man who's an adult who really wants to marry a young teenager and 17 is still young. Yes. That's a huge red flag. It is a huge red flag. And I can vouch for the fact that the chances of grooming not taking place in that type of relationship are very low. Mm -hmm. Because what they're looking for is someone they can control. Okay. This that's facts, but also it was a saying that my father-in-law actually declared at family gatherings often to me when he would say, marry him young, raise him upright. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what these type of men are looking for. They're looking for that young, impressionable, want to serve God, (laughs) Mm -hmm. do what's right type of girl who will literally be like, you know what? If that's if you if you're saying you have God and and I want to obey God and mm-hmm. you know I will say um, youth pastors my my ex was in seminary uh, becoming a youth pastor at the time mm-hmm. wanting to marry a 17 year old girl he's 27 almost 28 yep okay after being under a father who was so adamant about protecting me this is the situation my dad gets me to. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and he spends time with my dad, not me. I didn't want anything to do with him. I wasn't attracted to him, but he was 10 years older than me. I thought he was a man. I didn't Mm -hmm. even see him on the same planning. You know, I was up at the retreat, playing the piano, singing, working with children, being a teenager. Yeah. And minding my own business, so to speak, going on hikes. And this guy comes in 10 years older than me to meet with my dad to marry me. Mm-hmm. Not to get to know me, not to date me. It had already been decided. Bob Welch was going to get Alyssa Wakefield. Right. It was just, how was it going to be done? So mm-hmm. they meet and my dad is blown away at the spirituality of this guy that's 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. He is so spiritually mature. He's going to seminary. He's a youth pastor. Yeah. This brother is better than the last brother. That last mm-hmm. brother, um, this brother has all the credentials. He's all the credentials of an abuser. <laughs> right, right. He has, he has all the credentials the purity culture tells you to look for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my dad and him meet and they decide that um, they're going to pursue a relationship together. My dad and this oldest brother, Robert Welch. So they begin to be in contact with each other. Again, I don't know any of this. My family takes a trip two months later to Alabama to a Gothard seminar my parents decide to stay at the Welch's house. The families are Mm -hmm. getting closer, getting together. At the end of that week, the two dads meet again with Robert and they ask my dad for permission to pursue me in marriage. I don't know him. Mm -hmm. I 
have had no relationship with him, I have probably not said three sentences to him <laughs> or, yeah. or vice versa. Um, it doesn't matter because it, I have no agency. He comes to my dad and says, can I take your daughter on a walk and tell her my intentions to marry her? Mm-hmm. And my dad says, yes. And now you have to realize my dad hasn't let anybody walk, talk, call, or be near me. Mm-hmm. This is basically like saying you can have my daughter. Right. I don't know you from Adam, but you can have her. You have all right. of you are spiritual and mature and a godly patriarchal family. This is it. So my dad and mom set it up for him to be left with me the last night of our time in Alabama. And I'm 18 years old at this point. So I was of age. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad comes to me and says, we're going to the store and you're going to stay here with Robert and do dishes. And I looked at him and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to stay with him. I was scared. I was terrified. I was terrified. You're, we're talking about someone that never has been left with men. Like I, I'm, mm-hmm. men are scary. Right. And this man's 10 years older than me. And so they get in the car to leave. And I run after my dad. I, and I pound on the car and I, I was such a dutiful daughter. This was a lot for me. So I run out there and I said, please don't leave me here with him. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't want to be left with him because I knew what this meant. He was saying, you're going to, this is the guy I picked for you. Right. He didn't say that out loud because I was supposed to make this choice on my own, mm-hmm. but it's the only option I was given. So I know mm-hmm. exactly what's being said to me and I am terrified. He does. He's, he's not anything of what I want to be with or to right. know. I was shocked that my dad had done this to me. And I thought I, I must truly cannot trust my heart. I must yeah. really be that immature. Hmm. I must really not know how to hear from God. Yeah. He's nothing I've prayed for that I had hoped for if I was going to get married. So how did that, how did that first well, so meeting? My parents looked at me and my dad said, no, you can't come with us. You go back in and you talk with him. So I took a deep breath, like an obedient daughter who had been spanked into obedience plenty of times. Right. And yes, sir, daddy. And I walked in just dumbfounded and I went to the sink where he was washing dishes and he was elated. Here he was left alone with this 18 year old girl that he's basically about to propose to. We don't know each other. So small talk and I'm just washing goes, why don't we go for a walk? It's dark. And you think, well, you could have said no, you could have run away. Why didn't you rebel at that point? Why didn't you say no? And this is one of those things that I absolutely hate as an abuse survivor. When someone says, why didn't you leave earlier? Well, didn't you know that was abuse? Well, why did you let him rape you? Or, you know, it's the victim shaming and blaming of what people don't understand is your agency has been stripped. Yeah. You don't know what to do. You can't leave. Running away isn't even an option. Yeah. There isn't a fight or flight left in you. And it was traumatic for me. Someone who had never even been left alone with a guy or hugged or kissed or held hands or been allowed to talk with guys. And here I'm left with a man 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. I know what's expected of me. I'm supposed to go on this walk. I'm supposed to fall in love now. I'm supposed to have sex right. with him. Like, you know, like all of this mm-hmm. is going through my head and I'm newly 18. And so I just remember following him out the door, like in shock, just mm-hmm. in shock. I don't even know what to say. And he goes through this elaborate spiritual speech about God's calling on his life and missions and pastoral and his goals to be a pastor and, and how much he loves God and how deep his faith is and how he laid out a fleece before God for a wife and all this amazing stuff. And then at the end of it, he says, and, and God has led me to pursue you and marriage Mm -hmm. and your father and my father, and they've already talked and they've given me the, the go ahead to pursue you. Well, we all know in courtship and betrothal, what that means. Mm -hmm. There isn't a time at that point that you get to say, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm a woman and I'm going to say no. (laughs) Nope. There's none Mm -hmm. of that. I had, I had the, the courage enough to look at him at the end. And I just looked at him and I said, I need time to think about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer for you right now. 
And he said, oh, don't worry. And he, does, he wasn't worried. He knew my dad would get me to say yes. Right. I, I just, was, I, I need, I, I even told him, I said, I, I kind of like somebody else back home, I think, <laughs> like anything. Right. And, and I said, um, and, and I need to also say, I'm not attracted to you. I thought maybe that would like tell him I'm not for you. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. faith, all that faith stuff you just told me that God's will, God told you I was it. Yeah. If I tell you I'm not attracted to you and I don't like you, maybe that will change your mind. Mm-hmm. No. no. So I left and I went back to the house. I ran through the dark back to the house and my parents were back and my parents were in bed and I ran to the room and I went through the door and I said, what is going on? What, if, what is this? And they, my dad just smiled and he was like, look what God has done. You know how you always wondered where he was going to come from? And he proceeded to just show his enthusiasm and excitement. And I just remember gripping the end of the bed, like, right. What is a submissive daughter supposed to do right now? What is it I have been trained to do in this moment? I'm not supposed to trust my heart. I'm supposed to trust dad. I'm supposed to trust God and all things are in God's sovereign control. So I have now no choice. There's no, am I going to, am I not? Right. The men have lined this up. God lined this up. Now I just need to get excited. I need to find a way to get excited. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. That is, that is a lot. And I honestly can't imagine. I cannot imagine growing up like that. No, no, no. Or getting married under those circumstances. And we're going to hear about um, where things went from there and it got really sad. So we're going to, so please tune in next week, um, for, for the rest of Alyssa's story, but you can see where it's going and you can see how damaging it is when we raise our kids, maybe even with the best of intentions thinking, I'm just going to protect them. Yeah. But you never stop to think, what am I protecting them from? What I hope that people realize as they're listening is that even though this is an, like an extreme case Mm -hmm. of this kind of theology, this theology is not extreme. Yeah. So what's happening for Alyssa is just that they're actually following the theology to its logical conclusion. Everyone mm-hmm. who, you know, is spared of this is kind of just ignoring what they're teaching. Yeah, because there's there's so much theology in evangelicalism and fundamentalist churches that maybe aren't like Gothard. No. And they're not fundamentalist homeschoolers and they're not some of these extreme patriarchal, but they still believe that you know, the father is the ultimate, the ultimate authority, authority that, um, children need to be controlled, Mm -hmm. that women, you know, that sexual, whether or not you're sexually attracted to someone shouldn't matter because like it's for women, not for, don't say that for men, Mm -hmm. for women though, because they don't actually see women as being sexual beings. And so instead they're sexual objects. Yeah. And threats. Yeah. And so even though this is extreme, I hope in her story, you could see some of the common themes of the things that we've been talking about and realize that this is just the logical extent. It's not even an extreme. It's just the logical conclusion of what yeah. we're speaking yeah, and what the we're way, teaching. The way we can talk about it is this is on a scale. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is we shouldn't even be on this scale. Yes. Like if, if she was at a nine and most churches are at a one, two, three, four, we don't even need to be on this scale. We can right. have a totally different scale that mm-hmm. can't get to that nine. Exactly. And, and so that's why we need to reject these things at the root. Yes. I think too, the big thing that I'm hoping people take away from this one is what happens when we deprive children of their agency. Yeah. From such a young age, that story of the yellow, uh, the yellow raincoat and breaking her spirit over that was just so touching. And, you know, she wasn't that much young or she wasn't that much older than Alex is now, like your son, when when she underwent that horrible spanking because she wanted something that they didn't want her to have. And our goal as parents should not be to control our children. Yeah. God does not control us. Our goal as parents should be to teach our children and to come alongside them and, and disciple them. Yeah. Yeah. The difference between controlling and guiding your children is such an important one. Mm-hmm. And when you control your kids, when you take away their will, when you take away their agency, that has an impact 
on how they're going to be able to make decisions later. Well, and it also has an impact on their relationship with you. Yeah. I mean, like my son is only two and a half years old, right? Mm -hmm. But we give him as much choice and agency as as is reasonable to give a two-year-old, right? (laughs) Like if he wants to eat the dirt, we're going to explain to him why he can't eat the dirt. Um, But... Because he's used to having some agency, you know, I, a couple, if you listened to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, Wendy gave me some parenting advice and mm-hmm. it just works like that. Mm-hmm. Like just immediately, I can't snap. Sorry guys. I, I make the motion of snapping, but it worked immediately because as soon as I started explaining to him, Hey, there's a reason for this. He was so used to being able to make decisions. He's like, Oh, okay. Of course I'll make that choice then. It just right. wasn't a power struggle. And in 12 days on June 21st, we're doing a compassionate discipline free webinar with yes. Wendy Snyder. If you're yeah. really taken with what we said in the podcast a few weeks ago about how you can discipline without spanking and what positive parenting looks like. And if you listen to Alyssa's story and you're thinking, I don't want to do anything like that for my kids. Yeah. I want to figure out a different way and I want to break the cycle. Please come to this seminar because we do not need to take away our kids' agency. We need to learn how to help them make good choices and how to stand beside them and guide them and teach them as Jesus did instead. Yeah. So there is a link where you can sign up to that free webinar and the podcast notes. Please do that. And just to let you all know, I'm going to be there because although I follow Wendy on social media and I like have read like everything she's put out Mm -hmm. I still learn something (laughs) whenever she talks so I'm gonna be there yes and I will be hosting so please come in and join it it is free on June 21st and you but you do need to register and so please register there's a link in the podcast notes and the post that goes along with this and I hope as well that you will join us again for part two of our conversation with Alyssa you can see what happens um, after she gets married after she finally figures out she's in an abusive marriage and it takes quite a while and then gets the courage to take her life back and have agency for the first time in her life. Um, So join us next week. It's an exciting story. It's a heartbreaking story. And we'll be delving into more aspects of it. So until then, we'll see you later.